listening to First Church Charlotte. Pastor Nathan here. It is my honor to open the word of the Lord with you. Mark chapter number nine, verse number one. And he said unto them, assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses and they were talking with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said, Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. This gives you pretty much everything you need to know about Peter's personality. When you don't know what to do, make a proposal. <laughs> Verse number seven, and a cloud came and overshadowed them and a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. Suddenly when they looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. We are continuing our survey of the Gospel of Mark, and this is the quintessential mountaintop experience. If you've served the Lord very long at all, you know how we use that language to refer to times in the believer's life when things are just amazing. <laughs> all is well, God is good, money in the bank, everybody likes you, mountaintop. Further, we express a spiritual, spiritual experience as mountaintop experiences, as though they sang my song, they preached my message, I was caught away into the seventh heaven, and there I saw visions of God. Mountaintop experience. All of us enjoy mountaintop experiences, and that is what we read here happened to the disciples. And there are lessons threaded through this that every serious Bible student should consider, reflect upon, even pray about, and finally apply to his or her heart. It's possible to be Christians and really just use Christianity as superstition. You would be amazed at the people I deal with who won't obey the Bible, but if they have a dream, they will, they will call me in fear. Do you see how they're using Christianity to express a superstitious foundation in their soul? Um, we don't want to live that way. Uh, we want to take Bible study seriously. Other people use Christianity to establish what they think other people should do. And so their Christianity, if you hear them preach, is primarily expressing their social opinions, their cultural opinions, their racial opinions, their political opinions. Um, they're not being changed by the story of Jesus, the gospel of Christ. They're using it to express their social opinions or to express a latent superstition in their heart. I, I want to caution all of you, including myself, just how common this is and just how easy this is 
to do. We cannot fall into the trap of simply using God for our purposes. We should humble ourselves and be a serious, a serious Bible student, not just using the Bible to reinforce what somebody else in our life believes, uh, what someone else has given in consecration. We have to humble ourselves and go to the Bible and seriously study it. Take it seriously. All right, so this moment of mountaintop experience for the disciples, they beheld, Peter would write later in his epistle, we beheld his glory. They beheld the majesty of his person. Uh, this is evidenced by the metamorphosis that Jesus does before them. That is the Greek word that is actually used, met, metamorpho. Uh, it is where we get metamorphosis from. He is transfigured before them. His face shines as though instead of a creature of flesh, he has become a creature of light. You see, um, his clothing shines like the sun. And the Bible says the exceeding white, his clothes, his face is exceedingly white. And Peter would remember and recount it to Mark, who would write it down for us to learn from. There is no launderer on earth. There's no laundry mat on earth that can get a garment as white as we saw the blazing light through Jesus Christ on that mountaintop. Uh, Peter in second, his second epistle, chapter number one, verse number 16, will refer to that moment. He writes about it again later as an apostle, as a church founder. Uh, he writes about it again in Mark. He writes as though he were experiencing it and he recounts it to, uh, to uh, John Mark who wrote it down for us. They are overwhelmed and they need this moment. The Lord had promised them that they would see the glory in the kingdom of God uh, before they died. <laughs> um, they would see it and they would perceive the majesty and the glory of God. Now, remember this, majesty, glory is difficult for us to perceive. Why? Because we often have a different opinion about what majesty and glory is than what God has. God has a different opinion of majesty and glory. We're going to see that in this scripture here, here together. Appearing with Jesus is Moses and Elijah. Now Moses in Jewish thought is the epitome of the law, the epitome of the lawgiver. Uh, Elijah in the mind of the prophets is the epitome of the prophet. And it is as though appearing with Jesus is the law and the prophets. And so Peter, not knowing what to do, he decides that something should be done. And he proposes this three tabernacle construction project, uh, one for the law, one for the prophets, and one for Jesus. Um, Peter means well. He really does. Uh, he, like all of us, is prone to error, but he means well. And God will use his boisterous personality his sweetness and his strength are knit together in a divine way that only God could give, only God could do. And I, I want to encourage all of you today, your strengths and weaknesses are knit together in a way that God can use. You can use them, yes, and God can use them. 
this is why you should never assume that um, you've made some mistake and you are beyond the hand of God or you are beyond uh, usefulness in his hand. Uh, God will use people who people who don't know when to shut up. Peter is a perfect example of uh, the type of people, perhaps myself included, who don't know when to shut up. God can use them in spite that their strength is threaded into their weakness. And so uh, the Lord will correct, I should say, the Father. What does the Bible say in the Father? The eternal God, the one who is indescriptible. No man has seen at any time ineffable, cannot be described beyond understanding. The Father, God, is going to correct Peter about his perception of the Son of God, Jesus, the flesh that is before him, that walks with him, that eats with him, that sleeps, gets tired, gets exhausted, finite. That's what's happening here. The eternal God is saying, don't miss it, Peter. This moment is not about the exaltation of the prophets. This moment is not about the exaltation of the law. This moment is about what I am doing, the Lamb of God for sinners slain, Jesus. Hear him. Perceive the glory in him. Perceive that the law was an introduction and the prophets were a forerunner. It's all about Jesus. And they, in this moment, they, they wrestle with this. Peter suggests this project of building and uh, they are correct, corrected and emphasis place, placed upon Jesus. Hear him, not the law, not the prophets, hear him. What are the law and the prophets for us today? They are teaching examples to us and they're profitable to help us understand doctrine. They are profitable to help us understand uh, the nature of God, the nature of our hearts, our need, God's supply. But notice the verb choice that is given in the New Testament. The, the writer does not say they are necessary. The writer says they are profitable. Now, I, I, again, we've got to take the Bible seriously. We can't just be superstitious about it and use it to reflect somebody else's relationship with God or someone else's uh, theological history or inheritance. Um, that word is not an accident. <laughs> that word is very specific there in the original languages. It's very specific there. It's profitable. It's helpful for us. But we are focused on Jesus. I am never, hear me, never going to take the words of Jesus and put them on the same level as a prophet or an Old Testament law. They're not the same level. That would say it's all equal. No, Jesus, hear ye him. The law is fulfilled in him. The prophets are fulfilled in him, not the other way around. And so we celebrate, as we should, as all good Christian believers should, the exaltation of Jesus. Ye are complete in him. And so uh, we see this, this moment of glory. It is a mountaintop experience. And the Lord had already known they would need it. The disciples would need it. And this moment of glory is our perception of the glory of God, the power 
of God. It's our perception of when God removes the veil. No longer must we see through faith, but we have been demonstrated to of the glory of God. But that's what we need. Um, there is more to glory than mountaintop experiences. Um, the disciples see the kingdom of God present with power. Yes. The disciples see the son of man in his kingdom, kingdom coming in his kingdom. Yes. Uh, they perceive the glory, strength, majesty in the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ. But uh, that's the obvious. Here is a lesson you probably have not heard celebrated much, and that is this. Um, what God wants for his kingdom is not, the is not necessarily the same thing we want for his kingdom. Um, here comes the challenge of heart and spiritual understanding. What God wants for his kingdom is not the same thing that we want for his kingdom. Look at Peter. What we want is an edifice. Let's build a tabernacle. Do you see? Um, I want in my personal devotion and in my spiritual communication, this is one lesson that is under-celebrated, under-taught, under-preached, but is absolutely found in every book of the Bible. God's people rarely get right what God is doing. And they miss the work of God because what they wanted God to do is not what God is doing. It's not just Christian folks. Why do the Jews miss Jesus? Because they're disappointed in his plan for them. They don't want freedom from sins. They want freedom from uh, Roman oppression. They don't want a savior of the weak. They want a savior who will throw down the powers of the kingdoms that oppress them. Do you see? And so they're disappointed. And in their disappointment, they say, God would not do this. So we will not receive. We will not hear. Um, I want to show you that uh, here in the kingdom, or I want to show you that here in the text, the story uh, we are reading, reading about together. Now remember, in this moment of glory, the disciples needed to see it. Jesus told them they would see it. He takes them away. Mountaintop experience, they see. That does not change the fact that he's going to Jerusalem to die. That's not what they want to see. Uh, that's not what they want. They want tabernacles, building projects, glorification on mountaintops. Jesus gives them what they need, but not what they want. And so I want to show you how this works out in this story. John chapter number 12, verse number 27. This is Jesus speaking. Now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Whoa, just stop for a minute here. Uh, glory is what happened on the mountaintop. Don't tell me glory is on Calvary. Don't tell me that what's about to happen to you, Jesus, is glory. You see the difference in what the disciples think glory is and what Jesus thinks glory is? This is the lesson that should smite us to our very hearts, to the very <laughs> marrow of our bones. I don't want to die, Jesus is saying. I, 
But what am I going to do? <laughs> Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? No, I can't do that. This is purpose being unveiled in me. And so I will pray this prayer instead, not save me from pain, but I will pray, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice, continuing reading the Gospel of John, then a voice came out of heaven, God speaking, God, the Father, the eternal spirit, unknowable, unseeable, ineffable, the glorious mystery of divinity from above. I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again. It's not so much that God disagrees with the mountaintop experience being a place of glory. It's just that he sees it's only one aspect of glory. He has glorified his name and he will glorify it again. So the crowd of people who stood by and heard it were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying an angel has spoken to him. We want a certain kind of glory. We don't want the whole of glory. But this is the work of true Christianity. This is the work of the disciple. If you glorify on mountaintops or you glorify on crosses, Father, glorify your name. John 13, verse number 31. So when Judas had left, Jesus said, now is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him. So let me reread that for, I didn't get my phrasing in a way that helps understanding. So let me phrase it to help understanding. Now is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, this is the Amplified Bible showing uh, the the uh, understanding a Greek scholar would have reading the text that an English speaker would not get reading an English translation. The Lord says, all right, it's time. It's time for God to be glorified in the Son of Man if God's going to be glorified in the Son of Man. God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Uh, I want you to be reminded of a troubling reality. After Judas leaves, he says, glorify yourself in me. After Judas leaves to betray him, he says, glorify yourself in me. It's easy for us to see glory in the mountaintop experience, but in the suffering and the trouble and the giving of ourselves, we don't feel glory. Our emotions lie to us and tell us that it's purposeless. It's meaningless. It's just us failing again and again because this pain I feel cannot be the glory of God. But this is an error because glory has more in it than mountains. Glory also has crosses. Glory also has deep valleys of despair. More. Glory has, just as sure as it has a mountaintop experience, it has the valley of the shadow of death. And whether you're in the valley of the shadow of death or whether you're in the mountaintop of transfiguration, God be glorified in 
you. What does God desire of us today? Not tabernacles or temples. We use buildings, but we never venerate or, or how shall we say, exalt the building itself. Uh, we desire glory and majesty, but we surrender ourselves and say that glory might be in the wonder, the glory of, shall we say, uh, the apex of spiritual experience, or it might be on a cross. Whatever the case, uh, glorify your name in me, in Jesus' name. Yes, I love the mountaintop experience, but God give me the maturity to understand glory is not segregated to the mountain. Glory encompasses the valley of the shadow of death. And that is encouraging to me. I don't know how God can use the tears I cry, but if he can, they're his to use. I don't know how God can use the struggle of your, your journey, but if he can, it is his to use. Take what I am, take what I have, and use it for your glory. This is why you need to be involved in ordinary, day-to-day, -day, simple ministry. You need to be committed to Bible study, devotion, prayer. You need to be committed to small groups. You need to be committed to attending a regular church service, even when it's not convenient, particularly if you have small children, let them see you work hard to be there in the house of God. That's a more, more profound lesson than any amount of parental lecturing. Uh, let them see your commitment. Uh, we must see glory, not just in the mountaintop. We must see glory in the humdrum. <laughs> we must see glory in the valley of the shadow of death. God will do what he said he would do. The issue is not, will God do it? The issue is whether or not he'll use us to accomplishment. And we want that. Lord, use us as believers. Use us as church goers. Use us as first church to fulfill your work, your kingdom, your calling, your ministry, your purpose. In Jesus' name we pray. God bless you. We love you. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us. Thank you.